There are a lot of visuals that we immediately that immediately come to mind when we think about Christmas, but I'd wager that uh, war is not one of them. Uh, the reenactment that you just saw really did happen uh, as a historical event. It didn't happen very much across the line, but it did happen in one spot, um, and it really captures uh, not only the spirit of Christmas, but also one of the stories that are left untold when we come to Christmas, one of the stories that it, that it really does express. I mean, most of the time when we're thinking about Christmas, the visuals that come to mind are more like silver and gold, red and green, snowmen, maybe Christmas lights, Christmas cookies, of course. I mean, it's, it's those kinds of things. Or maybe you think of the nativity, especially when you come to church, uh, you, you kind of think, uh, you know, the whole Mary and Joseph thing, the baby Jesus in the manger, and like that's that's the image that you think of when it comes to Christmas. But to kind of help us to see how Christmas, one of the untold stories of Christmas is, is that it's a war story, um, there, is a, there is one inaccuracy when it comes to our nativity scenes. I don't know if you may know about this, some of you may know about this, but uh, you want, and it's not that the wise men weren't there. I don't know if you knew that. I try to mention that at least you know, every year when Christmas comes along, but the wise men were not there at the birth of Jesus. Uh, they were there maybe uh, about two years later, and so, you know, if they're in your nativity, just move them to the other side of the room, and you're good. Uh, but what's actually, what's missing in your and I know what's missing in all of your nativity scenes, is that there should be a massive seven-headed red dragon in your nativity. How many of you knew that that was the case? Okay. Yeah. Um, you're not convinced, are you? You don't, you don't, you're not buying it. See, you knew that there were animals, though, at the nativity, right? Because Jesus was born in a manger that's a feeding trough for animals. And so, like, for example, there's a donkey. Uh, our movie night that's coming up this Saturday night for everybody, bring some cookies and come hang out for that. That's uh, an untold story of Christmas because it's going to be pers- from the perspective of a donkey, uh, which should be uh, fascinating and, and fun. And, you know, like, of course, there are sheep there because shepherds came and they were celebrating the birth of Jesus. But standing uncomfortably close to the sheep was a big seven-headed red dragon. However, the sheep need not be too nervous uh, because the dragon's focus was wholly fixated on the manger. But I can tell that some of you are not convinced. And so we're going to open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, and uh, we're going to read a very different nativity story uh, for this Christmas. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, we read this from the Apostle John. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule or shepherd uh, all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne." You've heard that one before, right? You gather around uh, with your family every Christmas and read. That's the story you read, right? Because that's the story about the birth of Jesus. This woman with the crown of 12 stars, she's the nation of Israel. Jesus comes from the nation of Israel. And Satan, who's the dragon, wants to destroy all that. He represents authority and power. And, uh, and, and this baby, this child that was born was Jesus. And I just, I just want to take a second. Wouldn't this make a great Christmas card? I mean, just like if you want this, we can send that. 
Merry Christmas from all your, you know, uh, or better yet, some of you, you do Elf on the Shelf? Yeah, some, instead of Elf on the Shelf, you could do Dragon on a Wagon. You like that? And it's, you know, it's from the, okay, all right. Maybe not. Children misbehave, the dragon will come. All right, yeah. We'll leave that with Krampus. All right, so, so maybe, uh, maybe there's a reason we don't turn to this story when it comes to Christmas. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a little too violent, maybe a little, a little too real, you know. Yet when John is writing this version of the Christmas story, He's writing to people who are scattered because of their faith or being persecuted for people, you know, just because they believe in Jesus and are celebrating and worshiping him. He's writing this book as an encouragement uh, to them uh, because of what Jesus has done. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, maybe we feel the pressure that Christmas has to be this happy, uh, joyful time, even though we're struggling and maybe we're dealing with some things with our family or just internally things in our lives. And, and we might miss the fact that, that Christmas, Christmas is a war story. It's, it's, it's a war that Jesus fought. It's a battle that he came uh, pre- prepared for. In fact, John goes on to describe this war in verses 7 through 9. You might remember us reading this passage from our Angels and Demons uh, sermon series uh, a few weeks ago. In Revelation 12, 7, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Sweet. You know, that's, that's a great result for the battle. He was hurled out of heaven and down to earth. Right where we are. <laughs> Verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands... And hold fast their testimony about Jesus. That's, that's us. You know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Christians, you know, Christmas is a war story. We have an enemy who's seeking to devour, who's trying to keep us from Jesus, from God's love for us. Christmas, Christmas that Christmas night that Jesus was born and came is kind of like D-Day. Like June 6, 1944, when the Allies stormed the beach, 2,500 Americans died. And yet they did that because when they won that area, that staging area for the rest of the war, it was simply a matter of time before evil was defeated. The Nazis would be, uh, the war would be won against the Nazis. And in a similar way, Christmas was D-Day. And the untold story of Christmas is that it's a war story. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was like he was a, a you know, lone soldier storming the beachhead for his invasion. And for his invasion. And he didn't come to fight an aggressor nation, but he did come to defeat and destroy the evil that had taken over the world. Before that first Christmas day, our planet was, was a lot like Europe was in that time in World War II. An evil enemy had taken things over and it looked hopeless. And yet, this is what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus. In the second half of 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I mean, some of our lives, the, the earth, you know, it had become the devil's occupied territory, and Jesus was the one-man special operations unit who had come to take it back. Now, there's a, 
There's a different strategy, though. When we talk about war and we talk about soldiers, especially in the context of the church, like sometimes we think of some things, even historically, in, in, the, uh, in, in the story of the church that, that don't sound very pleasant. In fact, there are people who have called themselves soldiers of Christ who have committed atrocities in Jesus' name, but Jesus' strategy was very different from the type of war that we typically think about when we talk about that. In fact, there were people, there were zealots who wanted Jesus to, in his ministry, like to kind of be done with that and take up arms against the Roman Empire and become a great military leader like some other leaders had been in the past. And yet that was never God's plan to fight a physical battle like that. Here's Jesus' battle strategy, and this quote is, is uh, attributed to Napoleon Bonaparte. And this, this explains Jesus' battle strategy perfectly. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded great empires, but upon what did these creations depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions will die for him. Jesus' strategy was built on a daring raid of, of love, not to overtake the capital of a nation, but to win our hearts, the hearts of every human being. And the only blood that he was willing to spill in the process was his own. Jesus' strategy was to come and reclaim the territory of our hearts for each and every person who wants to give their heart back to God to be redeemed and reconciled for him, which is our deepest yearning as human beings. The religious establishment of Jesus' day didn't understand this strategy. All they saw when it came to Jesus was a threat to their power and their position and their possessions. And so what they did is, is they looked at Jesus and they said, we've got to find a way to get rid of him. And so they allied themselves with the ancient, most ancient enemy of all, and that's death. And so they took Jesus and they said, well, he is our enemy. He's trying to get rid of our, our stuff that we want to hold on to. And so we're going to take care of this. We're going to take him out. And so they do that. They kill Jesus because that's what you do with an enemy is you get rid of your enemy, right? And then you're done. The war is over. Yet that played exactly into Jesus' plan and strategy all along because Jesus didn't stay dead. Because Jesus in three days rose again. And when he walked out of that grave, he won the victory that humanity didn't even know was possible over sin and death. Christmas was D-Day, and Jesus was the freedom fighter born that night, and each and every human heart that has surrendered to him experiences and participates in the victory that he won. But I get and understand that, okay, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting, you know, kind of spend Christmas as a war story, and, and that's good, so, but so what? Like, what does that have to do with me? Why does it even matter if I think of, about Christmas in this way? Let me give you three answers to that. And the first comes from Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. And Jesus says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus recognized that Christmas is a war story, and he talks about this in terms of, uh, of there being sides when it comes to Jesus. And I know sometimes it's like, well, that, that doesn't necessarily sound comfortable. But, you know, there, there's no position of neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Like, we can't be spiritually Swiss, even though we might want to be, and maybe it leaves us in a, in a little bit more, more comfortable state. And when I say that, like, 
I get that sometimes we can be a fan of Jesus and say, yeah, I'm, I'm for Jesus and I really want, I, I, I like what he does and, and that's kind of, that kind of thing, but we're not engaged in what, what he's doing in our lives and it doesn't affect anything we do. It's, it's kind of like back in school when a friend of yours was in a fight. Like you didn't say, hey, I'm for you, man. Like I, I want you to do well in this. Good job, buddy. You know, hope after school in the parking lot, you know, that, that things go well for you. No. If you're a friend, maybe you'd do that somebody you didn't like. If you're friends with him, you say, no, I'm with you. Like I've got your back. I'm going to show up and I'm going to fight with you. Not, not that I'm condoning fighting or not that I would have ever done anything like that personally um, at all. It doesn't work that way, Right. Like, there's not three different armies when it, when it comes to this life. It's not, uh, here are the religious crazy people, like pastors, you know, where, where there's, is it okay? Uh, all right. I am one. I get to say that. You know, you know where we think, like, here are the really religious gung-ho people, and, like, <laughs> they're, they're those type, you know, they're the type of people that would, like, preach and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so there's them. And then there's, you know, people on the opposite ends of the spectrum, and so they're terrorists or, or maybe they're atheists or any of that, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, us reasonable people, we're kind of middle of the road, and we're kind of cool. We're cool with Jesus, you know, you know, but we don't want to upset the apple cart too much. No, it doesn't work that way. Christmas... Christmas means war when Jesus came. And Jesus said, you're with me or you're against me. Like, you're, even if you're not actively picking or choosing a side, you're on one side or the other. And listen, I, like, I totally understand it takes time and it takes thought to make a decision about Jesus. And there's in no way that, you know, anybody would ask you to, to say, well, just kind of on a whim or emotional high or something like that, you know, choose Jesus and follow him and that kind of stuff. But on the same side of that, and so we want you to, we want you to wrestle with your faith. We want you to consider. We want you to, we want you to deal with reality and, and speak to God on, the, on, the, on, that, on that side. But on the flip side of the coin is there's also an urgency to this in, in that there is a decision that's, that's being made even in the midst of indecision. If you're not for him, you're against him. Understand that God desperately, he's willing for none to perish. God desperately wants to save us from our sin. He wants to take back and restore our hearts to give us the promise of eternity in heaven. He wants to give us that free gift from him. That's why he sent Jesus. Only those who say yes to God's offer receive it. And so if you've ever wondered, like, well, how do I do that? And how do I explain this to the person that I've been trying to share Jesus with for so long? Well, it starts with understanding and accepting some truths about who Jesus is. That Jesus was God's son. That he lived a sinless life, but died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Which is the only way to have our sins removed. And to be reconciled and redeemed back to God. That Jesus rose from, from the grave. That one day, as we celebrate during the Advent season, that Jesus will come again soon, that he will bring his followers to heaven with him forever. You need to accept the truth of these facts, but it's more than just intellectual belief. It's, all about, it's also about trusting God at his word, about who he says he is, and why he cares for us, why he loves us. Trusting him with our everyday life and with our eternal destiny, following his words and his ways. And every time in Scripture, every time somebody responds to Jesus and says, I'm with you, I'm all in with Jesus, they make a decision to start their faith journey. They take this next step of being baptized in him. And so, so maybe like the first so what for you, or maybe for somebody that you're close to, 
in this life is simply saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Saying like, that's, that's the first so what in this. This is, a, this is a war for your heart and your soul from Jesus. Here's the second one. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a story to lead into the second one. On June 7th, the day after D-Day, uh, Brigadier General Norman Dutch Coda came across a group of infantry who were pinned down uh, by Germans that were in a house. And he goes up to the captain of, of the squad who's there, of the infantry, and he says, why have you not taken this position yet? Why have you not taken the house? And the captain responds to this general, and he says, because their Germans are shooting at us. And the, and the general says, okay, well, captain, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how to take this house, okay? So I'm going to ask you to lay down some covering fire. I'm going to take my squad. I'm going to take my, my grenades that I have on my, on my chest, and I'm going to take those out, and, and we're going to show you how it's done. So they start laying some covering fire, and this general starts running toward the house like a crazy person with his squad. He's yelling. They're, they're going crazy. They kick the door down. They throw the grenades in. They storm the house. The squad sees Germans leaving out, out the back, and, and the, the general comes back after them and said, Captain, do you understand now how to do this? The guy says, okay, got it. And, and, the, and General Norman Cota says, all right, good, because I can't do this for every squad in the Army. Like, you, this, is, this is your job. Like, this is part of your expectation here. And one of the funniest things to me about this story is the captain's first words to the general about why they hadn't taken the house yet. He said, because the Germans are shooting at us. Well, duh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a war. Of course they're shooting at you. You get shot at. And, and that's the second, so what? If you say yes to Jesus, you're going to get attacked by the enemy. Not a great sales pitch, am I right? A lot of Christians are surprised when they get shot at. Hey, me included. And we'll say things, and this is how we know this is the case. We'll say things like, I don't understand why I'm so tempted. Or I don't understand why things are going wrong in my life. Or I don't understand why things are difficult. I don't understand why my marriage is difficult or why my kids are difficult or why my job are, you know, is difficult. That's what happens when you're in a war. There is an enemy, an enemy who's seeking to bring you down, who's seeking to devour. He wants to take you out, so fight back. Take the house, unbuckle your hand grenades, and kick in the door. The Bible says in the book of James in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're in a war. So this is the second, so what? Expect to get shot at. But with God's help and God's strength, you can fight back. Which brings us to the third, so what? And something all of us need to consider. If you have said yes to Jesus, are you advancing or retreating? Something we all have to confront in our lives. Are we advancing or are we retreating? Are we on a mission? Are we fighting Jesus' battle of love, am I with Jesus in his mission to take back every human heart, or am I just for him? So one of the things that's important to us as a church, as a congregation at Velocity, is our mission is helping people find Jesus and love God. And, you know, this, this phrase didn't come just out of nowhere. This is based on Jesus' greatest commandments and his great commission. It's something that every church everywhere is supposed to be centered around and about. And we know 
that this is our mission because this is what helps to center us and align ourselves and reorient ourselves around what Jesus' mission has always been, his strategy has always been, is to help others so that they can find him and learn who God is and the love that he has for all of us. See, God didn't call us, he didn't save us just for us to go to heaven. He absolutely wants us to be in heaven with him, and he wants us to be in relationship with him, and he wants us to experience all of eternity with him. But he also called us and saved us so we can join in his war effort. So this is why Paul uh, writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And so even in a time frame and a period of life like Christmas, where sometimes we're struggling with, you know, people that we are obligated to see, our family, people that we're struggling to forgive, uh, you know, people that, um, that we just simply don't want to be around, all the pressures and expectations that come with gatherings, with friends, with spending money, you know, with buying things and being so caught up in consumerism, whatever the case may be, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, don't be caught up in all this, all this extra stuff that's really just taking your focus and your energy away from what God calls us to. There's a war going on that needs your attention, so keep advancing. Don't, be, don't re- retreat by being caught up in all of these other extra, extraneous things. Keep advancing and growing your heart with God. Pray. Take the time to pray. Read your Bible. Worship to be at small group, to grow your heart for people, to serve, to sacrifice. Smile every once in a while. Care more about others more than yourself. Consistently show people godly character and God's love in such a way that it breaks down the barriers and obstacles that have been put in place in their life from the enemy and helps to melt those barriers and to draw them to God's heart for them. Keep advancing and do so consistently throughout your life so that when you get to the end of your life, you can say like Paul does to Timothy later on in chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Bethlehem was the beachhead. Jesus landed there in his all-out invasion of enemy-occupied hearts. And later, Jesus struck the mortal blow to the enemy by dying on a cross. And then Jesus stepped out of the grave, the victor. The outcome of the battle has already been decided, but I get there's still a battle waging in our lives. And some of us are going to be leaving this place and going home or going to a job are going to a situation that simply reminds you of that fight, that daily fight throughout the week. One of the things to understand about experiencing and participating in the victory that Jesus has already won is, is one of the things that this season of Advent is built around. And it's not just that we're celebrating that Jesus was born, but we're also celebrating that we have the hope that Jesus is coming again soon. That, yeah, Christmas, one of the untold stories of Christmas is that Christmas is a war story. But Jesus, when he came, when he was born as a baby, we also celebrate the fact that his life, death, and resurrection brought about the liberation of everyone 
and how we experience and share the love of God in our lives. Let me, let me pray for us. God, I ask that in the midst of the battles that we're, we're fighting, God, we remember that you have always fought for us um, and that your blood was the only blood that was shed. That, that your strategy is for us to uh, choose you because how you have loved us, not because you force us to, uh, but because you deserve it, because of how you've created, how you've cared for us, how you've sent Jesus. God, we ask that, and we're, we're reminded that our relationship with you is worth fighting for. That it's worth fighting for others to come to know who you are because of how you've loved us. God, we thank you uh, for Christmas and the time of year that we get to focus on what you've done through your son. And it's his name we pray. Amen.